0: Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. It sounds simplistic what I'm about to say, but I really like trees. <laughs> I liked climbing them as kids, or at least trying to climb them. I wasn't always successful, but I enjoyed it. I liked the shade that they provided on a hot summer day when I was doing some fishing. When we first came to, to North Dakota... I didn't really believe President, who was then President Harvilla, that there were not many trees here, at least on the eastern side of the state. Boy, was he right. So I looked for a while. We looked for a while for a place with mature trees uh, around our house. We ended up in the Hawthorne neighborhood. And it gave the place character, Right. And my dad was a bird hound, loved birds. He would actually have me watch in the backyard. We had a feeder and he'd have me write down all the different kinds of birds that would come down. And so it's nice to have trees because we had a lot of cardinals and other things that would come and visit. We liked it during the fall when the trees would reflect the beauty and glory of God, right? And then I read somewhere today on on the web... And this is well put. Trees are the lungs of the earth. Trees are the lungs of the earth. And trees serve as its filters. Because they capture airborne dust, pollen, carbon dioxide, carbon monoxide, and they produce oxygen. They're the lungs of the earth and its filters. But since the fall into sin, trees aren't always our friends. I know that sounds goofy. There's poisonous trees, right? And then in the fall, you gotta rake them. You gotta trim them. When we get these high winds in North Dakota, my goodness. There's always limbs, big limbs, landing on the garage. I'm lucky we never had damage because we had some pretty big limbs falling on the garage. In, oh, I was probably about you guys, about your age, in ninth grade. And I was playing whipple ball in our driveway with a bunch of neighbors. And I remember I rounded what was second base, which was the edge of our driveway, and the third base, which was the big elm tree in the middle of the yard. And I tripped over the root of one of the big roots of the elm tree and dislocated my right shoulder. Stupid tree. Yeah, cut it down. That's what I was going to do. My dad wouldn't let me, by the way. Get the chainsaw. You know in Charlie Brown, what's he always fighting against? The kite-eating tree. Right? In the Garden of Eden, man and woman were surrounded by only good things. Various good God-made creatures and various good God-created vegetation. And in the middle of the garden are two special trees as we talked about. Uh, The Lord's Word speaks specifically about these. Tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, both in the middle of the garden, probably side by side. We don't really know. And both of these trees there to serve the good of mankind. And you're like, what? How could this be good? Because they're at the foot of one tree, Adam and Eve worship as they show their love for God by being obedient to Him, uh, to His command to trust His Word. Do you ever think about that? All the people in the world, even Adam and Eve, even though they live with God face to face, live by faith. Right? Live by something that is promised but is unknown. So for them, evil was unknown. It wasn't a part of who they were. It wasn't a part of their experience. They didn't know evil at all. There it is. God says, don't touch it. They live by faith that if they do, something bad will happen. Dying In the day they eat of it, dying they will surely die. And at the foot of the other tree, they receive the gift of life everlasting. The tree of life. Two important trees. As man and woman live and walk in the presence of their Lord and God. But you guys know the story. We've been talking about it all Lent. Adam and Eve eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's something here that we're not privy to. There's something here we got to find out about, Right? And they give in to the whispers of the evil one, that ancient serpent that entices them. You're not going to die, right? We talked about this. God's holding back something from you. Well, God was holding something back from them. But it was evil. It was bad. It was death. But they listened. They disobeyed. And the worm of sin burrows into their hearts and minds. And they become infested with the parasite that is sin. And they become corrupted. Separated by God from this dividing wall of hostility and this corruption, they are subject to eternal death. That is separation from God. And Adam and Eve cannot stay in the garden and live in this state forever. God does not allow it. He won't. God knows that if they eat of the tree of life as a sinner that the life bestowed by the fruit will be a fate worse than death because they will live forever in that separation from God as sin continues to ravage them in body and soul. So God does the loving thing. It might not appear like that to us, but He casts them out of the garden and they are not only removed from the presence of the cursed tree, but also the tree of life. The cherubim and flaming sword guard the entrance to the garden, the path back to this tree. Lest man eat from it and live forever in this corrupted state. So there we are. Exiled from the tree of life, from the garden, from life, from God, who is the source of all life. Exile, And it is a curse that is Terrible. So now what? Well, that brokenness, that corruption must be overcome. Sin must be dealt with, atoned for, washed away, destroyed. But how do we deal with it? We can't. We confess, and rightly so, that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We are by nature a sinner that keeps us from being part of the solution. Sin-filled man is the problem. And he is unable to do anything that would solve that problem. And so true life eludes him. A restored relationship with God isn't a possibility because sinful man doesn't even want it. In fact, he detests it. A return to what God had intended for us from the beginning is beyond our reach. Beyond our reach, but not beyond God's reach. Right? The disciples ask, who then can be saved? And what is Jesus' response? With man, it is impossible. With God, all things are possible. You've got to put that... Quote, within the context. Salvation is impossible with man, but with God all things are possible. And that's exactly what happens. God comes down to earth in the person of Jesus Christ as fully God and fully man, and He opens His arms. He opens His arms to love the whole world by living a perfect life and then opens his arms to die on a cross. For just as man was overcome by a tree. We, sing, we do this in the proper preface. I don't know if you notice it. Uh, before communion. This is part of that uh, seasonal. right? For as man was overcome by a tree. So also the son of man by a tree has overcome. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, Jesus. God's Son comes to us into our flesh and blood that He might crush that ancient serpent, the devil who leads the whole world astray. And Jesus comes in our flesh and blood to pay the price that sin demands, the shedding of blood. And only the blood of Jesus suffices. Truly, blood from a lamb without blemish, spot, stain, but holy, innocent. The blood of the lamb, who is a perfect sacrifice, holy and precious. Only the blood of the lamb will suffice. Only the blood of the lamb will take away the sin of the world. The Son of Man is lifted up. Jesus talks about this. When the Son of Man is lifted up, He will draw all mankind to Himself. He's not talking about the ascension, although Paul tells us that's certainly important. That as Jesus ascends to the Father, He takes us with Him and has seated us in the heavenly places. Right? It's very important. That's not the lifting up that Jesus is talking about. He's talking about being lifted up from the earth on the cross. Just as the bronze serpent was. So that all who looked on the serpent would live. So that all who looks And the Son of Man would live as well. The tree. An instrument of torture, suffering, and in death. One we would rather not look at or think about. One that the world condemns its folly. What kind of story is this? What kind of God would do this? To His own Son, nonetheless. But as Jesus, God in the flesh, is lifted up. He draws all people to Himself and shows God's infinite steadfast love and mercy for us sinners. On the cross, Jesus suffers and dies for all. For all! His holy, precious blood is shed for all. On the cross, Jesus lays down His life for all so that all might be restored, all might be reconciled to God, all might be brought back to Him. A perfect sacrifice brings the salvation and restoration that eludes each of us by our own powers, efforts, works, and restores us as the crown of God's creation just as God had intended. I know it is hard To comprehend and understand. It's not pretty to look at. It's not how we would do things, right? Everybody's like, well, I wouldn't have put a a tree of the knowledge of good and evil in there in the first place. right? Or I wouldn't. Or if I wouldn't have. Well, you don't get to make that decision. But it's exactly how God does things and did do things. It's interesting how God has a way of turning things around, turning things on its head. Through His Son, God takes an instrument of death, right, just like He did the waters in Egypt, and brings new life, eternal life, to His people. Christ gives us that through His cross, an empty tomb. Our exile from the tree of life is over, Christ has taken all your sins to Himself, and now you are without blemish, without stain, because He has taken it all. He has drawn you to Himself. The cross reunites us with our God as the gifts of forgiveness, life, and salvation are bestowed and granted. And again, God pours out these things through His church. Through word and sacrament, gifts that bestow the forgiveness of sins and the Holy Spirit. No longer do we wander aimlessly, blindly in search of solution to sin. Now God brings us at the foot of the cross as the source of new life. As we gaze upon the one who became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Tree to tree. The tree of life to the cross. Another life-giving tree. A journey from, from life to death and death back to life. Did you ever notice how that tree is now at the center of our worship? The cross of our Lord Jesus, there it is right there. We remember the cross of our Lord and what He did there. We remember how He brought life and death. It's the center of everything that we do. It's at the center of our worship. As we gather around what God has done for us in Christ. Gather around those things that He has commanded. Namely, baptism. The Lord's Supper. Hearing His Word. Confession and absolution. And the authority given to the church to forgive and retain sins. Yes, that is in John chapter 20. It's commanded. All of these things come to us through the cross of Christ and his empty tomb. It's how we worship. It's why we worship. It is God's gift being poured out from what Christ has done for us. One tree restored us. And it gets better. One day we will behold that reality in all its fullness. The Apostle John describes it this way in the book of Revelation. The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, in the center. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. That tree of life is impossible without the tree of the cross. Tree to tree. Rejoice, Christians. You have been restored through the cross of our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ, to life everlasting. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.